everyone. I'm Abby Feeder, Certified Life and Fertility Coach, and you're listening to The Fertility Check. This show is all about the road to parenthood, which is almost never the same, and our guests' professional success along the way. I thought it would be a great way to kick off the show to have somebody that was deeply with me along my own fertility journey, and that is my fertility doctor, Dr. Carrie Wambach at Reproductive Partners here in Los Angeles. Carrie was one of two doctors that I saw I would say truly for a second opinion, but it was like a 500th opinion. And I fell so in love with her that I decided to move over to her, even though that wasn't my intention when I first reached out to her. What's amazing about Carrie is that she went through a very, very crazy story to her own family, and I can't wait for you to hear it. She is one of the most sought after doctors in Los Angeles for fertility treatments. I jokingly say she owes me like a baby or two because I've probably sent her, I don't know, 25 people. I think it was 23 last time I counted, but she is just a beautiful human and is very empathetic and understanding and kind and patient. And I think that's part of what makes her an incredible doctor. So without further ado, here's Carrie. Hi. Hi. Dr. Carrie Wambach, welcome. I'm so happy to have you here. And I mean, obviously a huge part of my particular fertility story, also a huge part of many of my friends' fertility stories. And I just want to start by A, thanking you for being here and telling everyone how much I love you and how awesome you are. And B, I want to get into your fertility journey personally, but I kind of want to start with your medical journey because your story in particular, in terms of your personal experience with infertility, is so different having gone through it with the lens of being a reproductive endocrinologist. So why don't you tell us how you got to this specialty and we can go from there. All right. Well, thank you for having me on. Always. I adore you as a patient and I'm so happy you're doing this for the world. So thank you. Congrats to you. Thank you. So, I mean, there's not a really long story as to how I ended up here. I always knew I wanted to be a doctor from being five years old. I don't know why I just did. Once I got into medical school, I thought I was going to be a pediatrician. I was Mm. like, that's it. Shoo-in. That's going to be my life's journey. I did about one week in pediatrics and said, I will never, ever, ever do this again. Oh, Wow. And so then I thought, okay, where am I going to go? And immediately following that was OBGYN, and I fell in love with it. I loved Mm -hmm. taking care of women. I loved the diversity of the field. I loved everything about it. That being said, my favorite part was probably surgery. So I was really back and forth between being like, do I want to be with OB or do I want to be in surgery? And as I was pursuing more in surgery, I ended up doing a lot of gynonc where I found that woman, gynonc is taking care of women who have cancer. I found a lot of the women were not as afraid of dying as they were of losing their ability to have children in the future. Mm. And for whatever reason, that struck me. And that put me down a whole fertility path. And I started doing more research and going to more conferences and that's how I ended up here. Wow. I never knew that that was how you ended up here. I love that. So gynonc, like you said, is gynecology and oncology, just for anybody that's wondering. Where did you go to med school, by the way? 
Uh, University of California, Irvine. I mean, I know that because I got to see your diploma in your office, but I'm just saying, <laughs> just for anybody that wants to know. And what did you love about surgery? Do you remember like what it was that you were so drawn to? It's the instant gratification. You know, you get to immediately fix things. So it's fun. I mean, you get to do something right with your hands and you get to create things, but you, it's just, yeah, it was the amazement to me that someone could come in and you could within three hours transform whatever it was, right? Mm -hmm. You could remove a tumor, you could correct a bowel, you could correct a laceration, you could take out a pancreas. Like it was just fascinating to me. I love that. Um, I think it's so funny that you like instant gratification because so much of this journey is exactly the opposite, especially as the patient. So how did you end up at Reproductive Partners? Have you been there the whole time that you've been doing this? Okay. I couldn't remember. So I came out of fellowship and started at a different clinic in Los Angeles. And I was there for a couple of years. The clinic was great. I loved the people, but I had known Guyane Ambartsumi and she was my co-fellow. She was at Reproductive Partners. And I knew Andy Wong, who was four years ahead of me, but had been at UCLA training the whole time. And when it came down to it, I sort of wanted to grow up with them. You know, I wanted to become partners with them and have a career with them. And so they slowly pulled me over. And then I've just been here for now 12 years. Oh my gosh. I can't believe it's been 12 years. Okay. So in that 12 years, talk to me about your personal life, <laughs> your family life, your family life. <laughs> yeah. The, the balance and patience are like my most difficult words. So I, you know, it's, it's hard because I think I don't do this for any other reason, except that I love it. Right. And I get really involved with my patients and I get very committed to doing this. And so it's it's not a nine to five job. You know, it's something where you are working almost constantly. You're always on the phone. You're always checking in. You're always looking on things, even on vacation, on a plane, et cetera. That being said, I've also had to prioritize my husband and my children and carve out time for them. So I um I have four children, as you know, mm-hmm. and that was not beautiful the plan, boys. but that's yeah. how the journey ended up being. That was apparently my story. Which I still can't even believe when I hear you say I have four children. Like, by the way, when I met you, you Me had either. one. Uh-huh. You had one and one was almost coming. You almost had two. And now in a very short time, you have four. We'll get there. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I mean, you just, every day is a new day. You just wake up and you figure out how you're going to do it, right? And you make your schedule and figure it out. And I'm certainly not perfect at anything, but somehow at the end of the day, I get through it all. And tell me about, so 12 years, I don't remember how old your oldest is, but were you already going through your own, because you had a long history of recurrent pregnancy loss, if I remember correctly, before your first son? Were you, no, after your first son. Okay, okay. So do you want to tell the story about your first son? Sure. Well, I was I was a third-year fellow when I okay. got pregnant for the first time because it's very, very difficult to get pregnant and training in medicine. Um, so I was a third-year fellow. 
I did not think we would have any issues whatsoever come to it. We started trying. I wasn't ovulating. Ended up having to go on medications. It probably took almost, I don't know, maybe four months of, of getting pregnant. So not very difficult, right? Got pregnant, thought, okay, like I can do this. Like didn't think twice. Fast forward to 25 weeks. Um, I went into preterm labor, was uh, admitted. About two days after I was admitted, my water broke and I delivered a baby at 25 weeks. Mm. So mm. that baby, he's he's 10 years old now. His name's Spoiler. Pat. Yeah. <laughs> he's somehow got through the 100 days in the NICU. It was How did sick. you get through it? How did you get through it? Didn't really. I don't know if you could say I got through it. Over time, I worked through it. Mm-hmm. But um I did. I stopped working. I didn't do anything. So I took about seven months off when he was born. And I would wake up in the morning, go to the NICU, sit down next to him, be there for 10 hours, go home, have dinner, come back, sit next to him, go home, sleep for six hours and come back. And that's all I did for 100 days. Mm. But he he somehow miraculously came through and he's doing great. I mean, there's always preemie issues, but he's doing fine. Um, and then it took about two years until we were ready to start trying again. And that's when all the stuff that you know. About. Okay. Okay. So before we move on to that, which I do want to get into with Jack, what was it like? What did you feel? Did you care about anything else? Or was it like, like, did you feel, did you, were you missing a piece of yourself not working? Or you were just like, this is the only thing I'm basically living for right now is for my son was the only thing I was living for. Yeah. He was, he was so sick. It was touch and go every single day. Anyone who's had a premature baby always hears the, the term like a NICU is like a roller coaster. And it really is. You have good days. And then the very next day, it's a horrible day and it's just up and down, up and down. And there was nothing I could do, but just sit next to him. It was the only thing that kept me calm. So no, I mean, I, you know, in the back of your mind, it's sort of like, okay, I'm going to have to work eventually and I'm going to have to figure this out. But at the time, I just wanted to be near him. Hmm. How did you and your husband fare during that time? He's very different. I'm very quiet. And when I get really upset, I get very closed and I don't like to talk to anyone. He likes to talk to everyone. So what he did is he opened and wrote a blog and started writing every single night how Jack was doing, what happened that day. And because he didn't understand any of the medical stuff, it was like the one time in the day we would have the conversation where I'd say, okay, this happened. And he'd be like, translate this to normal verbiage. And he'd Mm. write the blog. And that's what somehow kept us together. Mm. You know, and he actually, he did great. He was the rock because I certainly wasn't. Yeah. Okay. So two years goes by and you're ready to try for number two and tell me what that journey looked like. And you're already now in your, in reproductive partners. I'm already at reproductive partners. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we, we started trying naturally. It didn't work. So then I went back on medications and I was like, okay, this is going to be a shoe-in. I got pregnant before. I'm going to get pregnant again. I got pregnant four times over the next 
year, but every single time miscarried except for one that ended up being an ectopic pregnancy. Mm. Let me go back a little, sorry to fast forward and then rewind, but in terms of the 25-week delivery, was anything diagnosed? Was anything, there was no sign. It literally just happened one day. Wow. No, and it, it just literally like it was normal, 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 normal. And then I just went into preterm labor and you know, there wasn't a lot of work up done afterwards either. And this is probably partially why I'm so crazy now, which you know about. Thank God. Yes. <laughs> Thank God. Why I, I cross every T dot, every I for everyone, whether they ask for it or not. But there wasn't really a workup. It was sort of thought that it was a fluke and that's what it was. And I would take progesterone shots and maybe get a cerclage and I would be fine. So, so I didn't think that there was any additional problem really going into it. And I can be a decent doctor, but I'm not a good doctor for myself, right? Yeah, no one's not a good patient. No one's good yeah. at mm-hmm. being their, you know, their own doctor. So when I went through the miscarriages, I did have like several things looked at, but nothing was really found. And my last miscarriage was at 10 weeks and it came back as a genetically normal girl. And it just like floored me. Like I... Mm. For some reason, I don't know why hearing the gender. And I remember my OB was like, are you sure you want to know? Yeah. And I was like, I need to know. And she was like, are you sure? And she was right. Like, I probably shouldn't have known because it just like crushed me. Yeah. So um, so even now I can't talk about it. But but that was when I, I just said something is wrong with me. And I went into Dr. Wong's office and I said, I think I want a surrogate. And he was like, Thank God. <laughs> I think they had watched me go through it and they yeah. were like, yes, yeah. please. So that's when I started that journey. And just in terms of those two years, had you already done like work or therapy or how did you get past the trauma of Jack? Like how did you fearlessly, and I don't think it was probably was not fearless, but how did you fearlessly go into trying to get pregnant again? What had you done or what could you have done when you're looking back on it now? Um, I didn't do enough. I honestly probably didn't do enough. We did a little bit of therapy and then I got irritated because I felt like the therapist took too much time and I didn't have it, but we did a little bit of therapy. And then I think a large part is almost denial. It's like, okay, this is going to be different. Right. And so I just sort of, and I think I did this through, through everything. I actually think I probably have healed the most in the last two or three years. But I think I put everything aside and just focused on what was ahead. So if I had to go back, I would go to therapy. I'd probably go on an antidepressant. Like Mm. I so needed an antidepressant and I just did not realize it. You also were so consumed with work. And that is like you started saying, it's throw myself in. Yeah. And I feel like with secondary infertility, it's so different than primary, which there's so many similarities, of course, but it is so different. And a lot of times I see a pattern where the woman in a heterosexual relationship becomes kind of obsessed with having another and the man in the relationship is kind of confused by that or can't figure out why you're not just happy with what you have. And by the way, of course you are. It's not that you're not. Was there that sign? Do you agree? Do you see that a lot in your practice? I'm just curious. And like, did you have that? Were you obsessed? Were you like, this has to happen? 
or were you kind of like, we're going to try the surrogate. And then if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. I was more, I think, cause I was so numb by that point. You know, we, my husband has a sister. I have a sister. We really wanted Jack to have a sibling. We also wanted, and this sounds, maybe does not sound the best, but we were really hoping to have a more normal journey. Like we had all of the newborn periods stolen, like just right. taken from us, right? right? Like we didn't get to do any of that stuff that a couple gets to do when you have a baby and, and be able to experience it and have joy in it. We didn't have joy for almost a year and a half. So we both really wanted that that other experience and we wanted Jack to have that sibling, but it was also like, I am so done and burnt out. I can't keep doing this. And we were actually on the same page with that. Mm. Mm, good. Okay. So how did you go about starting your surrogacy process? So I did it the same way everyone else. I went through an agency. Did you already know which agency? Were you like, I love this agency? Did you have like an inner track from your work? I did have a slight inner track. It was um, it, it was someone I had worked with and, and someone I knew. So we got in, but I still went on a wait list like mm. everyone else. And I really didn't you know, like some of those people on the wait list were also my patients, right? Like I didn't want right, to right. push them out of the way. Obviously went through IVF and made embryos. The first time I went through IVF, I didn't have any normal embryos. Mm. And poor Dr. Wong had to call me. Mm. Did he, do your, he did all of your um, retrievals? I sort of did it as a group effort, but he he probably was like my primary doctor. He was always the one who communicated with me. And then, Which I will just say, like, it sucked for him, but he's such a positive energy. It's kind of the person you do want to be giving you news in, in your office. You know what I mean? I mean, you yes. are too, but like, he's, he's a good deliverer. Man. I hung yeah. up on him the first time. I was like, I'm going. <laughs> oh. um, but yeah, did IVF twice, then the main normal embryos. Oh, wait, let's stop um, here. Do you, yeah. what was it like for you to be going through IVF after like prescribing IVF to so many people? Was it weird or was it like, oh, I know exactly what's going to happen? Were you disappointed? Were you emotionally attached or were you kind of more like practical in terms of your thinking because you're a doctor in this way? I think I was like really practical, but again, and, and you, you know, this, you know, as much as others, like you get really numb when you go through so much whether it's protective or you just don't have it left, like you're just numb. So I was very practical. I was treating it as if I was like a patient. Like it was just like numbers to me. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, like, yes, there's that anxiety. And there's also the excitement of like, how many eggs am I going to get? How many embryos am I going to get, et cetera. But it wasn't, you know, I had been on also meds for five years at that point. So I had experienced the injections and the meds and knew all of that. But no, I was, I was pretty like flat. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then you get bad news. Then you do a second round and you had embryos. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you're like, and at that point, were they just chilling on ice or were you, had you been matched? Like, how does it work timing wise? Do you not retrieve until you are matched or do you retrieve? And then I was on a wait list still. So I hadn't been matched. Okay. Now it's a little bit different because it's so much more difficult. Most people want embryos created before they're matched. But but pre-COVID, it was a little bit less yeah. crazy. Yeah. Um, so I was on a wait list. They were on ice. I made them January 2016. 
we matched, we transferred in June, 2016. So it took six months. And when we met was January, 2017. So a year later, and we decided to whatever, move forward together. And I remember the first thing I needed to do was a hysteroscopy. And you were like, so somebody canceled tomorrow at 10 a.m. We can do it then. Otherwise, we can't do it until like April because I'm leaving. And I was like, what? And you were like, yeah, I'm having a ba- I think you said I'm having a baby. And then I came, which which I want to get into that too, like how it was to talk about with patients. But then I get to the office and I'm like, this woman's having a baby. She's a <laughs> tiny little thing. Like, well, how, how is this possible? And you were like, yes, I have a surrogate and we're going to be, we're leaving it. You know, by the time I could get you on the books again, I'm going to be on maternity leave. So what was it like talking about that with patients? I mean, truthfully, a lot of people... And I probably didn't do it right, right? Because I I didn't like talking about it with patients so much. And, a you know, people obviously found out. But a, a lot of it, a lot of people didn't know. It was just sort of like, okay, Wombach's going to be gone for this period of time. Because I actually felt this tremendous amount of guilt. Even if I had gone through the same journey as a lot of you. Felt sort of guilty for being like, I'm going to go pick up my baby and you know, in retrospect, it probably had nothing to do with the patients. It was all like my own shame and sure, my own feelings and everything I had gone through. But I had a hard time talking about it with some people. And then to make matters even more complicated, what happened when you went to pick up your surrogate? And then when you came back? <laughs> so it was before, <laughs> before I went to go pick up. So the baby from the surrogate, his name's Cole, was born in February. In December, so two months, two and a half months prior to that, I was getting so sick. I couldn't figure out what was wrong. I was complaining that my clothes weren't fitting me. One of the nurses was like, you're pregnant. I'm like, there's no way I'm pregnant because I never, ever conceived without medications. And we were trying not to conceive. So for anyone listening, withdrawal does not work. But on that (laughs) note, most important, yeah. On that note, by the way, um, anybody listening to this podcast wishes that withdrawal wouldn't work. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're so yeah, <laughs> so you're good. <laughs> but but no, but I I found out I was pregnant on my own in December for the first time in five years. And you're two months uh, away from having your surrogate. Away from having. So when we called the surrogate, her husband's only question was like, "Are you still going to come pick up this baby?" And I was like. Yes, of course. We're going to come pick up this baby. As in but, your baby. <laughs> yes, as in yeah. our baby. Um, but yeah, it, it was a mess because I was so afraid I was going to lose the baby that I was carrying. I was so afraid I was going to go into preterm. I was so afraid I was going to be on bed rest and miss Cole's entire birth, like everything we had worked for. Right. Um, but yeah, that 2017 was an interesting year. I can't even like that was your year with me. That's when I started with you. Yes. It was a shit year for me, but it was eventually a good year. Um, well the next year, but I just can't even, I like just thinking about you and your husband's faces, looking at each other, finding out you're pregnant after all of that. Like I, I just get like goosebumps thinking about it. It's like, so your minds must've been like beyond blown, you know, like I, what was it like? 
there's a text chain because when I, so when the nurse told me in the clinic, I went and took a pregnancy test. I almost fainted when it turned positive. I walked straight out of the bathroom to the ultrasound, which I had the ability to do. I hope you didn't do your own ultrasound. Definitely scanned myself. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Like, and so you're just like alone in one of your rooms scanning yeah. yourself. Oh my yes, God. Yes. I was like, what is going on? And I fully expected to see some, you know, seven week miscarriage or whatever it had been. And there was like a nine and a half week baby with two arms and two legs wiggling in there. And so I call my husband. He doesn't answer. I call him again. He doesn't answer. I text him. I'm like, answer. He goes, I can't. And so I took, took a picture of the pregnancy test and I'm like, we're pregnant. And he was like, what? And this just curse word after curse word after like, just like, cause no one could, we just had no idea what to do. And in any other world you celebrate it, but because I had had so much loss and because I was so afraid that I was like, oh my gosh, now I have to get through the end of first trimester. Then I have to get through 25 weeks now. And I had finally mentally gone through the place where I had given it away and be like, something's broken in me. You can do it. And then I had, you know, I went back, but luckily I, we made it to 34 weeks with him. Actually, you went into labor the day you transferred me in June. I remember, I think it was June 28th. Am I right? June 28th or 29th? Yeah. I don't, I have like a crazy memory for, Uh but you were amazing because at that point, I think you were on bed rest and I was freaking out because I had had a horrible experience already. And you were like, I'll come in off of bed rest and do your transfer. I shouldn't even tell the story because every other patient's going to be like, what? But we know this is never you happening. Not to me into labor. I, I did not. I did not. But I you were like, feel better. I did two other surgeries that day too. It does make me feel better. Yes. And you were like, yep. Yeah. I talked to my doctors. Like as long as I have my traffic plan to the hospital, if anything yeah. happens. And then you texted me like the next day that you were, I think either had the baby or were in labor. Anyway, thank you for doing that. Appreciate it. I felt like it was a really good omen for me. It was not, but that's not the point. Okay. So you're like, okay, we're going to have, how did you even like 25 weeks with your surrogate? You want to talk a little bit about the insanity that happens when you're not biologically pregnant, but expecting a baby. And did you go to every scan? I think you did. Like you didn't. Okay. Did you, how did you manage that? Cause that is something that I think a lot of people who go through the surrogacy experience don't anticipate how high the anxiety will be for somebody else. Yeah. It's by the way, the whole thing is, is, is sort of, it's exciting, but it's also super stressful and awkward. And it's like, what am I supposed to go do? What do I want to go do? What does she want me to go do? All of this stuff. I always thought I wanted a surrogate that was in LA, like be right next to me. And when I finally matched and the perfect person was not in LA was up in near San Francisco it ended up being the best blessing because we were able to pick like the appointments that, that were the important ones. Right. So like the first heartbeat, the anatomy scan at like 13 weeks, the anatomy scan at 18 weeks. And then I think I did one more ultrasound with her at like 35 weeks. And I would fly up in the morning, go to the ultrasound, we'd have lunch and I'd fly home. It was phenomenal because it was scheduled. It took the pressure off. I didn't feel like I had to go to every visit. She probably didn't want me at every visit. Sure. You know, she was really relaxed and was the perfect surrogate for me. And I was like super stressed and like this. 
you know, and it's scary because we're all type A, you know, you want to control what food goes in your body. You want to control what medication happens. You want to control what exercise she does. You're like afraid if she's going to have sex, like you're afraid of everything. Sure. But the minute I was able to just be like, her body has worked, you know, three times before beautifully and mine hasn't. And this is the first and best gift I can give this child is like, let me get you in a uterus that can bring you to full term. It, like the second I could just do that and close my eyes, like I just let the rest of the stuff go. Mm, I love it. How did you explain it to Jack? So <laughs> there's a bunch of books, but they're really, they're really depressing. So in another life of mine, I want to write like a more fun surrogate book. Well, you have to. It's like the broken crayon and this, and it's, you know, there's, there's, and I get it. It is you're a lot of people go to surrogacy because of heartbreak. Right. And Mm -hmm. we did too. So we tried to do some of the books, but they were just really sad. So we ended up, he loved animals and our surrogate had dogs. And so we ended up asking our surrogate, like, are you okay to meet Jack? And they formed a bond. And we brought Jack up and he was five and we sort of explained it. We're like, she's carrying our baby and that's our baby. And we showed pictures. And so we talked about it all the time. I mean, and as much as a five-year-old could grasp the concept, he didn't know where babies came from, right? Right. He had never really seen me pregnant. So for all he knew, a stork delivered a baby on his doorstep. And so this was normal for him. Right. So you're now a mother of three at this point by a year you know, at this point, a year has gone by, you're a mother of three, you take maternity leave. Yeah. And tell me about how you became a mother of four. (laughs) When did you decide we need one more? So when we did the second round of IVF, we were super fortunate to have normal embryos. Every normal embryo was a boy. And at the time, I did not care. It was like, I just want a healthy baby. Um, So we obviously went with one of the stronger ones, and that was Cole. Then when I got pregnant naturally, it was a boy again. And so we ended up with three boys. And in the embryos we had, there also was a mosaic girl. And it just kept haunting me. And I would think about it maybe every three to six months. I'm like, I, you know, I just wish I could try it and see what's going to happen. And so our surrogate ended up opening a surrogacy agency and she ended up helping us through a second surrogacy journey. And we had a long talk and everyone was open and aware that we were going to put in this mosaic embryo and that was going to be it. If it worked, it worked. If it didn't, it didn't. And so we went through it. It did not work, did not implant. And I was done. And my husband was like, we have these boys. We have everything ready. You're going to open your heart up to one more child. Like, can it be a boy? And I was like, no. Like, like, Mm. actually, no, I don't think I can deal with four boys. And he was sort of like, just think about it. And then we had ordered shoes for the five-year-olds. And somehow, accidentally, these little teeny shoes arrived on (laughs) Saturday. And we were supposed to make the decision by Sunday. And they were the cutest little tiny shoes. And I was like, oh, forget it. Like, (sighs) Like now the baby's actually wearing them. He fits in them now. Um, but I was like, fine, we can we can go for one boy, but that's it. Like I, 
no, no whistles, no bells. Like, let's just try it. And if this doesn't work, we're done. And of course it worked. Oh my gosh. And we have a fourth one. And how old is he now? He's 14 months. Oh my God. So you have 14 months, two five-year-olds or one, five, one, six. One, five, one, six now. Yeah. During that one period of the time where they're different ages. Which like seriously as a mother of twins is, I don't know, like that seems even so much harder to me. It's interesting. Yeah. I mean, for babyhood at this point, maybe a little bit different, but like, and then you, and, and then Jack is 10. So you really run the gamut. Amazing. So, and you are still, by the way, an incredible RE. Why I know you and you're going to be like, I don't know, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Like, why do people love you so much? I can tell you, I mean, I know why I love you, but why do you think people love you so much? I don't know. I'm a pain in the butt. Someone told me I was nerdy. On Monday, they told me I was really nerdy. So maybe that's true. Well, nerdy as in a way of like, I turn, I like literally look at every single thing. Like I think I'm so worried that I don't want this to happen to anyone else. Like when people have miscarriages, like I just like want to sit and cry with them. Like I know what it's like. Like I want to do everything in my power to prevent them from having this happen. Right. And so maybe it's because I'm like, do, 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 do. And I make you do everything. Maybe it's because I listen and I know that I don't know. I really am a pain in the butt. So you have to tell me. I think also, you know, you spoil your patients because you give us close access to you. And that's so important and not something I would say majority don't do, but I didn't even know that, you know, until I started my business and see how so many other doctors work. Some doctors, there's a portal and you just send it to the portal and the, the that doesn't even go to the doctor, it goes to a nurse. And then maybe the nurse tells, and it's like so hard and so heartbreaking. So I think having access to you and like generous access and responsive access, I think is huge. And it's very kind and very open-hearted of you. I'm curious, like two things. How do you feel when you say goodbye to patients? Like, I remember I was, I was like, I had spent so much time. I'm like, I've spent more time with you than like anyone in my family in the last 18 months. Like I can't go on without you. And that must be so hard. I mean, do they even train you for that specifically in med school or like the connection piece of it? No, they don't no. do any part of that. I mean, California, sure. There's like a little bit of a social piece, but no, no. I mean, it's hard. It's, it's like wonderful and hard at the same time, but I truly, it's not like a blanket statement, like send me pictures and give me updates. It's really like, you better send me pictures and give me updates. Like I yeah. want to see this. Like I wanted to see your little ones come through. Like I love seeing you as mom, you know, we worked so hard to get you there. Yeah. But no, I mean, it's, it's sad. Like I miss some of my patients. I really do. Yeah. But I also sent you a picture recently of like five kids in a row at my kids preschool. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure four out of the five of these are from you. (laughs) Granted two of them were mine, but still. (laughs) <laughs> it was right. amazing. Well, you are. You're so well loved. So tell me, what do you do to take care of yourself? Anything? Anything? No, I mean, <laughs> I I exercise. All the time. That's good. That's good. Like I, for me, I love going out. I love dinners. I love going on vacation. Like I try to put in that balance. Like you're never anyone who's my patient knows that. Like oh yeah, like when I'm like I'm out of town, I don't lie about it. I'm like I'm going on vacation, right? You know, I, I I don't know. I don't know if I do enough. Per my mother, I don't do nearly enough. 
and I'm working on it. It's a work yeah. in progress. Well, what's it like? What's it like having four boys at home? It's I mean, crazy. it must be insanity. No, it's insanity. I mean, bedtime's insanity. Yeah. Right? Bedtime's like literally from seven to, to 10 every night. And it's like bedtime, homework, homework, bath, bath, homework, bedtime, bedtime, bedtime. <laughs> oh my gosh. Do and we miss sleep? things like there's no people are always like, how do you do it? And I'm like, I don't. We missed. Yeah. There were two plays. They're in different classes. I really thought one was on Tuesday and one was on Thursday. And we went to the Tuesday one that was at 10 a.m. And we're like, oops. They were like, oh, your other son was great this morning. And we were like, and we totally missed it. Mm-hmm. No one showed up for like, so there are no one is perfect. And I'm so far from it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. that's why when people are always like, how do you do it? I'm like, I, I don't, I just yeah. literally get up every day and try every day. Same way you do it. Yeah, dude. Bedtime's rough over here. And it's just one bedtime. <laughs> it's one bedtime. It's, it's two. It's and you two. know, I, I, it's interesting. It. Yeah. Like, and you know, it doesn't make it any easier just because you wanted it harder than other people. And that, not that it's a comparison on how hard anybody wanted it, but I think I thought anything stressful about parenting would just roll off because I wanted it so badly. And and it doesn't because in the moment, it's still really freaking hard. No, I actually think there's more guilt. I get really worried about that because mm-hmm. I'm like, postpartum's hard. Like, you don't have to think every, like you will, you will think every day that you have that baby, but you're also going to cry and yeah. you're going to be angry and you're going to be miserable. And it doesn't matter if it took you two years to get here. Right. It's really hard. Yeah. Okay, I think I'm going to have you come back at least for a part two at some point because I want to ask you all kinds of like clinic versus doctor versus like a, a little more medical stuff. But today I really wanted you to share your journey. So thank you. Is there any uh, mantra, cliche saying that you like think about from time to time or that guides you through anything hard? I don't know. It's okay if not. I, I don't know if I have one. There was a statement I heard the other day and it was like, I was like, I'm going to put that as a quote on my wall. And then I forgot it. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. That should just be on your wall. I had it. That's my my mantra. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. And you know what? It doesn't matter because then you go and make babies and take care of babies every day anyway. Yep. Yep. Okay, Carrie, thank you so much for being here. I love you. I love you too. You're doing amazing things. So Thank you. keeping there, all your all your clients love you. Like they, Thank you're, you're well, uh, they love you. Hand. They're very grateful when I send them to you. I, I tell them all that you owe me a couple free babies at this point because I sent you, you know, twenty <laughs> something clients. Well, come on back. We can. But we it can makes me, that make me look good. <laughs> you make me look good because everyone loves you. So thank you for that. You're welcome. All right. Well, have a good weekend. You too. Doesn't she have the most kind and comforting voice? It was just a really great voice to hear while I was so stressed about my fertility journey. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much to Dr. Carrie Wambach for being here. Her own journey is part of what makes her so incredibly special. It was something I didn't realize I needed or wanted when I was looking for a fertility doctor until I saw it in front of me and I was like, I really love this about her. Thank you so much for listening to The Fertility Chick and don't forget to write a review wherever you get your podcasts. It really, really helps us out. 
While you're at it, follow me on Instagram at Abby Feeder and at The Fertility Chick for more updates on upcoming guests, episodes, and all things fertility. Next week, we have the amazing Calais Stewart, actress and activist. And I can't wait for you to hear what she has to say. She's also making a big announcement. You're going to love it. Bye.